Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Matthew 6, 13. It is a famous scripture. You do not have to stand. We've done prayed. Just unless you want to stand. I'll leave it up to you. Several verses I want to read to kind of open this up. This evening, um, we may think some of this is elementary, but we are trying to set the precedence for not only this assembly, but all the other assemblies we are anticipating that we're going to have eventually. And I do believe that, as I talked about Sunday, I think there's plenty more churches coming. Amen. We may look at it now and think how it's going to happen, but I believe it with all my heart. But Anyway, when Jesus came to the coast of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? He said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But whom say you that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Lest thou, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood have not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say to thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we know this scripture is going to be key for what I'm talking about here tonight. He said in verse 19, I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Which without shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charge the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto the disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things, and the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. This is the first time we see the word church used in the New Testament, is in these verses. Jesus. The church was built on the revelation of who Jesus is. And the truth of the matter is, the whole entire Bible is the revelation of who Jesus is, from Genesis to Revelation. It is all trying to reveal the one true God, which is Jesus, to mankind. And that revelation cannot be understood, and it cannot be really obeyed, without what Jesus came to this earth for. Um, anybody, what, is, what did he come to this earth for? Somebody tell me. What's that? That's true. That's what Jesus said. There's a particular phrase I'm looking for. I'm going to get you all involved with me tonight. So what, what, did, what did he do for his ultimate go? It was the death burial, and resurrection. It was what we call the gospel. And the words that Jesus used, bind and loose, they're actually like a passive. Um, I'm not no English major by no means. And, uh, but looking at this, I found where they said that these words are actually passive part participle. I can't even get the word out, see? But they're past tense, basically, in the Greek. Indicate that they have already been bound they have already been loosed so 
when we're going to build the church according to God's blueprint. And this is, I know we've been here 16 years, but I decided I'm going to just dig down and talk to us about what Acts is, because this is where the church is from. This is where the church is built from. And according to God's blueprint, if we want his blessings, then we need to do it by his pattern. And if we want it, his power, we've got to use his pattern to have that power. So ultimately, God does the building. When he said, I will build my church. He said, I'm going to build it on this foundation. He told Peter, I'm going to build it on this foundation. I believe he was telling Peter, I'm going to build it. And Peter, I'm giving you the keys to it. And Peter was giving them keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we need to make sure that we obey what he says and do what he does in the book of Acts. This is where the church was born. Um, and that's why we're kind of taking this walk through the book of Acts. So we can understand what Harvest House needs to look like what the other churches are also going to look like and i'm going to i'm going to start talking about this a whole lot more the other churches because i believe this is god's will that we have multiple churches that cannot i believe this is going to be the foundation the base of it so uh tonight if i have a topic for this is I'm, we're talking about the keys to the apostolic doctrine we talked about continuing the apostolic doctrine last week today we're going to talk about the keys what is the keys to this whole entire thing and we got to see that as we go through the book of Acts, we want our church to look like the Acts church. Well, what did that look like? And Acts is that blueprint for the very first century church, and it still should be the blueprint from now. Um, Bible translators call this book, the book of Acts, they call it the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, it's what, it was their actions. It's what they'd done. A lot of people would really say that it is actually the acts of what the Holy Ghost done through the apostles. They couldn't do it without the Holy Ghost. Um, acts 1, 1 through 3 said, The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all Jesus began both to do and teach. Everybody say do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus' ministry was all about doing and teaching. We see this all the way through his time on earth. And as I said, the first of this, that the Gospels is Jesus was showing them how to build a church, teaching them, giving them examples of how to operate and deal with people. And then we see the book of Acts is them operating in that and their actions of being the church. And the rest of the, of the New Testament is the epistles that tells us how to stay in the church. I've said that a few times, but I want to say it, reiterate that as I go along with this. But Jesus did not work miracles just to be working miracles. But he used them to teach doctrine. He healed the blind man, and then he taught them, I'm the light of the world. Letting them know that, hey, I'm the light of the world. I bring light to the, to the blind people. He fed the 5,000, but then he taught them. He, he done it in action and teaching. He, he said he fed them, but then he taught them, I am the bread of life. So he was showing them by actions of how he was feeding them, but also telling them, but this is what I am. He ends up saying eventually that greater work shall you do. 
because I'm going to leave go of the Father because the Holy Ghost, everything that made up Jesus, now is going to live in you. And that's why it says the acts of the Holy Ghost upon the apostles. He didn't just teach for teaching's sake, but he taught them. The Bible said in Matthew 7, 29, as one having authority, he taught them as, look, I am the authority. He was letting them know that you can be the authority. And I think we walk in this place of, we do not walk in the place that we need to walk in that authority. If God's filled us with his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, we have that inside of us. We have authority. We have power. But we have to operate the way they did in the book of Acts. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So this doctrine thing is very important. So what is the keys of these doctrines? We're, if we're going to continue, and we've got to know what these keys are so we can continue to do them, so we can save ourselves and also those that hear us. Because the gospel is not just for saving us, but it's for saving the whole world to seek and save that which is lost, as Sister Penny had said earlier. James, the half-brother Jesus, said, James 1.22, but be ye dears of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He said, we can't just hear this, but we got to do it. we got to have the actions, like Acts, the book of Acts is. John 4, 24, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have to do this in action, doing it, hear it, and do it. And this is what the apostles done all the way through the Word of the Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the new testament not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life the bible by itself can kill people and honestly the spirit by itself if somebody's just operating spirit can be damaging we need both of these together and um but what when we look at this what are the commandments that jesus gave the apostles just before he was taken up we find it in the book of luke um, think about it for a second. I'm going to let you try to shoot me something out here. What did he tell them right before he was taken up? We find this in the book of Luke, chapter 24. Huh? He did say that, but he gave them a command. Go to Jerusalem. That's right. Luke 24, 44 through 49, he said to them, These are the words which I speak to you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it's written, and thus behold, Christ to suffer, raised from the dead the third day, and repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is what he just said. Your witnesses these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father to you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with the power of from on high. So what he was telling them, this is as he was ascending. Um, we see some of this kind of repeated. This is Luke. He, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So we kind of see him repeating a little bit this, but in Luke, he was telling them, we also kind of see it in Acts. We see the fulfilled. This is where he's actually been raised up. And they tarried. And then 40 days after that's when they went to the upper room, tarried for 10 days, and then the Holy Ghost came. But Jesus was saying, um, had been telling them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to raise again. And because of this, he said, I want you to go out and preach repentance, baptism of remissions of sins in my name, 
and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. The very last thing Jesus did on earth with his disciples was to emphasize how to obey the gospel. He, he emphasized to them, go preach repentance in my name until you be a dude for power. So he preached, he emphasized, the very last thing he emphasized to them, how to obey the gospel. And when Peter got up in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Peter preached the very same message in Acts 2.38. Jesus showed himself alive 40 days. He gave his disciples many infallible proofs. Acts 1.3 lets us know. And the official position of the Jews was that the disciples had just stolen Jesus. And if Jesus was dead, then their gospel had no power. And all of Jerusalem knew that Jesus had been crucified. And they, very few knew that he had been risen from the dead at this point, at this time right here. So the last the world saw Jesus, he was crucified, the, Jews, Jew, Jew, uh, the Jewish people, he had been crucified. And the last the disciples had seen of Jesus was on the Mount of Olives when he was resurrected and he left the world. So by their words, now we've got to think of this. The last time they seen Jesus, he was crucified. But by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. I should have put that in perspective how long that was, but maybe I'll find that for us on another one of these. But how did they do this? By their words, by their walk, by their works. The first century church proved that Jesus was alive by their words, by the way they walked and conducted themselves, and by their works. They done, and how did they do this? They'd done it through the power of the Holy Ghost. They could not do it on their own. The Holy Ghost, that is the resurrection power of Jesus that every believer needs inside of them. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. The Jews always had the wrong concept of God's kingdom. They confined it to the nation of Israel. They confined it to the materialistic things that they had around them. They confined it to the political, to a political and a physical uh, sense. And for the record, so does most of Christianity now. I have seen repeatedly people say on social media, we need to make sure we vote this, this, this back in. I agree. We need to go vote with godly convictions. But if we vote with godly convictions and then we just go and we don't be the church and we don't pray and realize it's not about United States. Jesus wasn't a Democrat. Jesus wasn't a Republican. He's God. We're not a Democrat. We're not a Republican. We're Christians. We're children of God. And, but because Jesus did not come establish that type of earthly kingdom, the crowd cried, first, Hosanna. Then what they do a week later, crucify. And this is how we are. This has been, in my experience, as pastoring in 16 years and also as just being in ministry for over 30 years. If life is going good and we can see our God in front of us and it looks like he's fixing to resurrect everything in our world here, we're going to cry Hosanna. But the minute it looks like he's not going to do that, we cry crucify him. 
We see that, it seemed like, all the time right now. And, but the disciples were um, impacted by what Jesus done powerfully. And that's why they argued over... I mean, well, you look at them. They argued over the fact who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Didn't they? I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. But after they got a revelation that it's not about this earth, we see what they've done in the book of Acts. Um, Acts 4, 33 said, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. With great power. That power was the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans, Paul told the Roman church, Romans 1, 16, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation that one that believeth to Jew first and also the Greek. Um, he told the Corinthian church, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not word, but in power. Right? So, Brother Raymond Woodward says this. He's a pastor in um, uh, Canada, New Brunswick, I think. He said, the key to revival is for the church to exercise its ability until God exercises his authority. The key to revival is for church to exercise its ability until God exercises its authority. And we should know that it's not by my might, not by my power, but by his spirit that said the Lord. So as a book of Acts church, even though we're in this modern time, we still need to operate in that same way in order to see this city turned upside down in every city that we go to. And that's what they've done in the book of Acts and that's what we've got to do here at Harvest House and all the other churches that we're going to start and plant. Jesus in Luke 24 and 7 said, this revival would happen beginning where? Texas said it. Jerusalem. Acts 1 and 8 said, you shall be witnesses to me both from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts, we see it centered with two, almost like two different books. Almost like two different uh, men talks about it. The first part of Acts seems to be centered around um, Peter, the Apostle Peter, and the Jews, and Jerusalem. That's from Acts 1 and 12. It's almost as you're saying, it's all about what Peter's doing in Jerusalem, getting it set up there. From Acts 13 to the end of it, we see it's more about Paul going to the Gentiles, going to Antioch, and we see Peter's ministry, it reaches Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But Paul's ministry reached beyond that and to the uttermost parts of the earth, even over, over into Rome. So Rome was the empire that crucified Jesus. It's the one that put the stamp on the seal, that put Jesus in the tomb. And, and in order to know what Jesus intended, preaching to be and his miracles and repentance and baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, then we need the book of Acts. Because that's where it all happened. That's what turned this, that's got us to where we are. So that's where the church was birthed, and this is why we're talking about it. It is the blueprint for the church. So if we want to know how the disciples interpreted the Great Commission, when he said them to go out and preach the gospel, well, I read earlier, or also you said Matthew 28, then we got to look at the book of Acts. It is the blueprint for the church. And if Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, we need to obey what he says 
and do what he done in the book of Acts. Would you agree? If he has the keys, then that's what we need to do. So, in a nutshell, most of us know this, but they left from there when Jesus ascended. There's about 500 of them. By the time they got to the upper room, 40 days later, there was about 120 of them. It took them 10 days to get in unity. It took them 10 days to get together through prayer. I have to think that a lot of them probably was fasting. Um, they, they had to come together. Once they came together, the Holy Ghost broke out. And we know, Acts 2, you read it. You can read always through the book of Acts 2. I'll paraphrase a little bit of it here for the sake of where I'm going here. And there's all one place, one accord, and, and suddenly we know what happened. The Holy Ghost filled every one of them. They began to speak with tongues. The Bible says the Spirit gave them utterance. Since the church had no New Testament like we got. You know, people, people want to talk about, you know, about the Old Testament being done away and all that kind of stuff, but what did Peter do? He didn't have all the writings that we have in the New Testament. So Peter reached back to the Old Testament for his sermon, and he starts off with Joel, the book of Joel, and he ends with Jesus. And we see, he, he says that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It should come to pass. The last days I pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters should prophesy. Young men, young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams, dream dreams. And he goes on preaching. So he's preaching this sermon. After everybody's been filled with the Holy Ghost, people come up and say, what is going on? I don't know if he stepped out on the bow of a balcony and people's down the streets. We talked about that beginning of it. There's no way that 3,000 people could have got up there. But he preached in such a way that everybody heard it. And... He, he, as he's preaching, we see verse 21, he said, It come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In order to do this, we must know who is Lord and how to call on him. So he begins to tell them how to do this. In Acts 2, uh, 22 through 24, he says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus and Nazareth, the man approved of God among you, miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you and by yourselves also know that him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. We're talking about hard preaching. Now he's preaching hard to him right now. He said, whom God has raised up and having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be in Hoden. Peter's, the people in Peter's audience heard about Jesus' miracle ministry and all this stuff and and... Uh, they crucified Jesus, but yet it was the plan of God. We, that's hard to comp comprehend, but it still was a plan of God. And he goes on, he begins to talk to him about David and how David foreseen him coming. And, and I'm not going to read all of it uh, for time's sake or whatever, plus to trying to where I'm wanting to head here. But Peter quotes the, basically what he's doing there, these next few verses. He's quoting from Psalm 16. 8 through 11, where David prophesied about the Lord, saying that it was impossible for him to stay in a grave. That's what David was saying in Psalm 16. So Peter's telling him, David, say again, he's preaching from the Old Testament. He's talking about how David talked about this man, Jesus, how he wouldn't stay in a grave. And David wasn't talking about himself because he was still in the grave. So we know he had to have been talking about Jesus. And David promised that the Messiah was going to come 
And as he's preaching, telling them basically, this is the one you crucified. I mean, he's slamming them. They said, "How's it?" They're saying, "How's all this happening?" We hear people talking on language and basically said, "It's because you crucified him. It was the plan of God." But now, then, you need to get in the plan of God. And he goes on in Acts thirty-two, two thirty-two. This Jesus hath God raised up. Wherefore we are all witness. He said, "Look, we witnessed this." He said, "Being the right hand of God, exalted in heaven, received the Father, promised the Holy Ghost." Shed forth, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended to the heavens, but he himself, the Lord, said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make my foes my footstool. Peter's point here is just saying that Jesus said if he went back to heaven, he would send the Holy Ghost, just like what he said he was going to do. So since the Holy Ghost had been poured out, then Jesus is in heaven and he's alive. He preached such a compelling um, message and letting them know that Jesus is the place of authority. And this is, if we're going to have a book of Acts revival here, it has to be centered around Jesus. We have to let people know that Jesus is the answer. Whatever you're going through, whatever trials, whatever tests, Jesus is the answer. And, and people say, well, and here's, here's the problem we have. We're in this time that people say, well, just accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's not working for everybody. That's not working. Just accepting him and believing is not working. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught them to believe, but then he also taught them to do. Because this is what he taught the disciples all the way through there. So we see it verse 36. It says, Wherefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, here he goes again, both Lord and Christ. The, the punchline of Peter's sermon is both a declaration and an accusation to them. <laughs> God came as your Messiah and you crucified him. The Jews, of course, didn't actually do it, but the Romans did, but they were guilty because they're the ones who said do it. So, and today, we are just as guilty if we don't receive him. Now, we're not receiving him like they did. We're receiving him in a different type of way. We're believing that he did do what he said he was going to do. John 1, 10 through 13 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came to his own, and they received him not. But as many received him, them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but nor of the will of man, but of God. Peter has told them who the Lord is, and he is going to tell them how to call on him so they can have their sins forgiven. And since Peter has the keys to the kingdom, this is a place that we need to pay attention. And this is one thing people want to gloss over and ignore it. And they said, what must we do to be saved? Peter is telling us at the beginning of the book of Acts, and I know some of this is cliche, we may hear it all the time, but we need to hear it, we need to understand it too. But we've got to do exactly what he said. And while so much of the modern Christian groups just preach the gospel is good news, not too many preach the Bible way to how to obey the gospel. And this is what made Acts turn the world upside down. Not only did they preach Jesus, but they also preached how to receive what Jesus done for us. And just like any other commandment in Scripture, to know it or even believe in it, it's not enough. We must obey the commandments.
And this is what they were effective of in the book of Acts, was getting people to understand, you, you know, Jesus is the answer, you need the gospel, but not just believe the gospel, to obey the gospel. And the New Testament Greek word for believe doesn't mean just to mentally acknowledge something. It is a synonym for commit. So in believing something so strongly that it causes you to do something. And when we really believe what the gospel is, it changes our life. And I know I've said a lot of it, said this many times, Paul declares the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, when he says that, uh, that the way that we are saved is by, you know, signifying with his death, burial, and resurrection through our death and repentance, our burial through baptism in Jesus' name, our resurrection through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is what the gospel is, death, burial, and, re burial and resurrection. I've talked about that a lot, but that is why in the very first church service in church history, after the very first sermon, firm sermon preached by one of the apostles, Peter, that had the keys, the very first time someone asked, what shall we do? And here's something key in our lives. If our life has not been changed by Jesus, that people don't ask us that question, what can I do to have my life like yours? Then we may not have the gospel totally fulfilled in our life. And we need such services when people come in here that there's such, you know, it's not just worship and singing and all this stuff, but they feel something that is so different in this place that they'll come and say, what do I got to do to have what you got? And at this very first altar call, in the church age, Peter said, obey the gospel by doing, we know it very well, obey the gospel by doing three things. 37, 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for missing sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Obeying the gospel is to repent, baptize in Jesus' name, Filled with the Holy Ghost. I know we talk about it so much, but this is the keys. This is what they've done. This is how to get in the kingdom of God. And he didn't stop. We like to stop there. And this is one reason I'm, I'm trying to take this farther in the book of Acts. We preach Acts 2, and we forget about the other 26 chapters. But it's more to it. He said, For the promises of you, your children, all that are far off, even many of the Lord our God shall call. Many other words he testified and exhorted, saying, Save yourselves from the untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. The same day they were adding to them about 3,000 souls. The promises unto you, your children, but also to all those that are far off, even as many of the Lord shall call. This is for the Gentiles. But that hadn't happened yet. But now it has. And we'll see it happen on a little farther. Acts 2.40, he said, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Many other words. This untoward generation. This is not the end of Peter's preaching. Because the new birth is just a birth into the kingdom of God. We still have to grow up and obey God's commandment to be saved from this untoward generation. Acts 2 38 is just the beginning. It's the birth. We look at our kids. Um, I know Texas, I speak from a grandfather's point of view. And I know that they're, they're battling this right now. He's in that screaming stage. Some kids just go through there. 
Uh, that's because he's a kid. He'd just been born. He'd just grown up. But at 15, you hope he's still not screaming. <laughs> at 40, we hope he's still not screaming. Well, we got a lot of spiritual uh, people that's been in a while and they're still screaming because you're still stuck at a child. They've still been stuck just being born. In order to, to take this farther, this is what they've done in the book of Acts and this is why I'm talking about this. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking the bread and prayers. Fear came upon ever so. Many wonders, signs were done by the apostles. And I've read this multiple times uh, through this. On down a little farther, it says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, eating bread with gladness, singleness heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The early church did more than make converts. They made disciples. And I think as a church, as a pastor, the biggest failure, if I have any type of failure, is when we have converts, is to try to make them into disciples. And this is one reason we're kind of doing this summer thing. We're kind of doing along the same theme all the way along, you know, that we can, you know, with kids or whatever. But... We want to make disciples. These people literally invested everything they had into the church. Okay? Now, I know we live in totally different times. And I know we have obligations in life. But the Christians that you met in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. And realize we're spread out and we're apart. But there's something to be said with this. They met daily. Now, we can't literally meet here daily. Especially with the gas prices, four dollars a gallon. Thank God I did see a three ninety nine today. Praise the Lord. Did you ever think you'd be happy to see three ninety nine a gallon? But if we take the concept of this in this generation's hour we live in, we can. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily and increased number daily. We want to increase our church. This is the key to having a book of Acts. Revival. It's somehow or another we can meet daily. It's, it may not be with us, but some day, somehow or another we can meet daily in such a way that we're reaching this world. We have technology at our finger, fingertips. We can do this. Care daily. That's through prayer. One souls daily. We can do this through Facebook. We can do this so through social media. We can do this with our neighbors. It's not all about here. And now then we got a work established a little closer uh, not established or taking on the work that's there in Sturgis, that's not that far from you guys. So it'd be easy. Well, somebody don't want to drive all the way to Marion. Well, hey, we got an extension of our church right here in Sturgis, 10, 15 minutes away. That's the goal of putting it that in all these churches where we can actually do this and do this constantly. But here are some things that we can do. Search the Scriptures daily. If we want to continue to grow, we search the Scriptures daily. And increased in numbers daily. Part of that increasing is when you and I increase. And when we increase daily through at least having a mindful of this, that what can I do to see the church grow daily? What can I do to see myself grow daily? What can I do? Search the Scriptures daily. And their Christian faith was a day-to-day -day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Now, I know it maybe not, we can't come here every day, but... We can do something daily that will increase us and will increase our church. 
And this is, I think, the key for us having a Book of Acts revival in this time that we're living in. When, when we don't do what we're supposed to do every day, then God does what, or when we do what, when we do what we're supposed to do every day, then God does what only He can do every day. Let me say that one more time. When we do what we're supposed to do every day, then God does what only He can do every day. All right, just give me just a minute. Give her about, Cheryl, give her five minutes. Well, just one second. I'm almost done. I know you won't hear the last part. I'll do this and done. Acts 1 8 said, You shall be witnesses. You know what that is equal to? Or kind of matches to his martyr. That's scary we think about, okay? A martyr is one who literally lays down their life for the gospel. But that's not just being willing to die for the Lord, but it's also being willing to live for him and face the oppositions, persecutions that we see in our world. Witness is a word, key word in Acts. It's used 29 times in 28 chapters. It's used both as a noun and a verb. And it's important for us to be a witness in our life, but it's so much equally important to go witness with our testimony. My one last verse, Proverbs 14, 25. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks, speaks lies. So the whole point and key of what I'm saying today is we've got to take what we've got, the book of Acts, the experience, born again, and then we've got to take this and become what they did. Somehow daily, they be, we become a witness daily to this world, and this thing is going to begin to grow. So that's kind of what I'm doing with this today. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to go in and start talking about some actual things they've done and that we can, how we can apply it to us. So, Lord, help us. Thank you for the word today. Thank you for your goodness. Ask you to bless. Bless the food. Bless everybody that's here in our fellowship, Lord. We love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.